was Olatunander is writing about the sovereign and the deep state and the, the veto power of a, of a different kind of regime in the West, uh, he eventually has to get to the most famous deep state or infamous deep state or the sort of germinal deep state uh, that's uh, in Turkey. And this is something that he doesn't get into the backstory of Susserlik, but we've talked about that on previous episodes where in the 90s, there's a car crash involving security officials and terrorists and a, and a parliament minister, and they shouldn't have been together. And it was a big scandal. And it it, it led the investigation of it led to the uh, exposure of networks uh, in Turkey that had been uh, using false flag terror and so on and were connected to NATO. Uh, we're involved in organized crime, drug running, all sorts of uh, crimes and terrorism and different operations for political manipulation. And it became clear that this was something so big that it can't just be, you know, written off as like bad apples or rogue organizations, that this is uh, a whole kind of a of a regime. And this was called the Darren Devlet or Deep State. And this has been talked about openly in Turkey more so uh, than in than in the West. And it's sort of seen, it was seen as a kind of um, oriental aberration or something. But in, in effect, the deep state was really the, the, the U.S. The U.S. was the, the party ultimately controlling this in Turkey. In 2007, Erdogan confirmed that there is a deep state and said it should be minimized. He added that this structure exists in all countries. He says, we can describe it as gangs inside a state organization, and this kind of structure does exist. And uh, David Phillips of the Council on Foreign Relations, I don't know who David Phillips is. It's not the CIA guy that's involved in the JFK assassination, but it's a different David Phillips. He says, the deep state, a shadowy network involving the military and intelligence apparatus, as well as the state bureaucracy, is the ultimate arbiter of power. So he's saying that about, presumably, about the Turkish example, but... It's, you know, that's quite something coming from somebody at the Council on Foreign Relations, which, it's, you know, that's the milieu which decided the U.S. empire should be, uh, should that the U.S. should go for global empire. And Alan Dulles was was overseeing some of these studies and they set up, they really are the drive, this sort of strata of American high society is what drives the creation of the CIA and so on. So, for a guy there to be saying that is kind of ironic because they have a deep state function uh, itself. The, the Council on Foreign Relations has that was a was a CFR study that um had, that was Brzezinski's grand chessboard. That was the CFR. I mean, in 1968 they did a they had a study or a meeting group that was arguing that covert operations need to be taken out of the bureaucracy, so they need to be more like privatized, basically. So this is really uh, fascinating that he's saying this. Um, Schmidt's words, you know, it's it's similar to the sovereign, the person, the entity that decides when the, the exception is. And as Schmidt would have it, uh, it is this state or the actual sovereign. Or it's the deep state that is the actual. It may as well be the one in charge, okay? Because it's it's able to establish order and the rule of law by committing acts that are outside the law. Like Schmidt says, the sovereign is he who decides on the exception. For a legal order to make sense, a normal situation must exist, and he is sovereign who decides definitely whether this normal situation actually exists. <laughs> so, if that is a convoluted way of saying it, it's just saying you're the, the boss of the legal regime, you're the ultimate sovereign, if you're the one who says that, it's, that the legal regime is, is allowed to operate in the first place. Like you're saying, you are the, as the one in charge, you're like, okay, today is a normal day. 
and things will proceed normally under the law, the, the laws that we have laid out. But you're also there to be able to say, whoa, things are not proceeding in a quote unquote normal way or the way that I would like it to. And so it, it's an emer- that's an emergency. And now we're going to need to mm, blow some things up and blame it on communists in order to fight this emergency. I mean, this is really the, like thinking of them. It's a it's it's a recipe for dictatorship when you need to pretend that there's a democracy. So we've talked about Italy. We've talked about Belgium. The same thing happens in Greece. Uh, Colonel George Papadopoulos, the Greek liaison officer to the U.S., activated Greece's quote unquote Prometheus plan, of which launched a military coup in Greece to prevent a NATO critic, Papandro, from returning as prime minister. For people who have seen, I think it's a 1969 movie called Z. Uh, that's a, a pretty good movie that that covers the Pop and Drow story a, a little bit allegorically, uh, but it's very similar. It, it, it parallels that, and it, it's one of the better sort of lefty leaning movies. Uh, it's very anti NATO. Uh, it's it's a good movie, but the same thing happens in Greece, and and it actually kind of creates, like I said earlier, a bad taste in the mouth for the U.S. officials because. They feel like it's a little too obvious. They they get frustrated how long the Greek generals decide to hold on to power, uh, because they uh, as he as Ola talks about in the essay, a democratic state functions a lot more usefully because it holds on to public opinion better. So you have this sort of nudging mechanism that keeps it on certain guardrails, but beyond that, you can let it kind of roll, and it keeps people feeling like it's a lot more legitimate. And the frustration comes when the generals try to be power hungry in a European, you know, central country that that isn't supposed to have a military regime like that. When they try to hold on to power, the U.S. gets frustrated because they they want it to at least appear like there's this veneer of democracy that they're backing partially during the, you know, the Cold War, because it's not a good look to to be anti-democracy when that's supposed to be what you are, are trying to keep everybody on board in Europe so they don't flip. You know, all of Eastern Europe doesn't try and start trying to flip to the Soviet Union. So it, it be, remains this sort of counterbalance that they have to at least play a PR game uh, and, and keep the veneer of democracy going. But through this, uh, it's not just that they're using a comprador class to use local elites. There's, as he says, all over Europe, there's these local elites that are, quote, more tuned to U.S. interests and able to influence local state policies and even to veto or manipulate policies and individuals in conflict with the U.S. interests. Therefore, they form what he calls the security state or the sovereign because they are this informal network that sits outside the state but gets veto power over any policies that they don't like, and they're a lot more attuned to U.S. interests. So as he goes on to talk about, uh, NATO, it sort of fits this uh, this Schmidtian sovereign and this idea of Schmidt's called Grossram, which is to create, a at the time, a German Third Reich economic sphere that included Central Europe and corralled their interest in Germany's direction. But as he points out, one, the cross-pollination there is that Schmidt actually got the idea for Grossram from the U.S. Monroe Doctrine and the way that it excluded Europe from the Western Hemisphere, uh, South American uh, uh, resources. The U.S. was able to enforce it long before the, the Third Reich was able to And they never were able to carry it out. But as he points out, uh, NATO actually acts as a sort of Grossram network that's actually possibly more unitary and and more unified in its control over over Europe than the Germans even ever dreamed of. 
And the reason for that is that that U.S. network of elites is able to enforce unity of policy while also not having rebellions in these states because they have nominal democratic control. But then they have such unified military control through the the immense military apparatus that that NATO puts together and the amount of centralized control that the U.S. Army then has over all of the troops in Europe. And that is able to exercise veto power for the U.S. elite network, because if you have somebody get into power that that they don't like, as he points out, there are these agreements that are essentially give the U.S. veto power over anyone that they need to. And speaking of these sort of secret veto agreements, uh, in October 1974, the chief of Italian military intelligence, General Vito Micheli, was arrested and accused of political conspiracy. But in court, he said that there was a secret organization accused of overthrowing the government uh, that had formed under a secret agreement with the U.S. and within the framework of NATO. And as Ola actually emailed Aaron, and and that's in the American Exception book, uh, he's written about how there are similar veto rights via the U.S. and NATO and all of the military bases all across Europe, including Scandinavian countries, that the agreement is if a socialist leader starts to get voted in, there is a backdoor sort of opening for NATO to step in and use all of their military bases and use their control over supposedly what would be Sweden and Norway and Finland's uh, military to turn around and, and coup any leader that that is not approved. And because just even having that sort of specter hanging over you, you end up with a whole lot more elite pushback to any sort of like social democratic move because they know they, they don't want to end up you know being removed from power because they, they let this happen. This is important because as Ola expands on in that, in the email that he he sent to me, this really long email that he sent to Peter Del Scott and I years ago, which is really brilliant. And I, I sort of uh, edited it for the, for, to make it the English, English is his second language. And this is just an email. So I, I polished that a, a, a little bit, but I basically published the whole thing because it was so good. It was really worthy of publication. So that's, that gives you a sense of Ola and his uh, scholarly powers. One one point that he makes in this in this email, and it's not clear in the in the way he refers to it in this article exactly what the nature was of these agreements, but it says in court that he argued that a secret organization accused of overthrowing the government uh, had been formed under a secret agreement with the U.S. and within the framework of NATO. Well, he doesn't explain whether is that a written agreement or is it an oral agreement. Uh, according to Ola, many of these things are orally done. They are transmitted orally. The most uh, dis- most important and weighty matters are done orally because somebody could always leak something to the press and you don't want that to happen. So the idea that it's run sort of like a, on a mafia principle, principle may be true, but there's also reason to believe that there are secret treaties. So these treaties may actually be, and these things can be related. There can be secret treaties where some person is authorized to act in the event of an emergency, and then that person can just transmit orders orally at that point when an emergency is declared. So, but the key issue is, or or what may be decisive here is that across NATO, it would seem that there are understandings or agreements, maybe written, maybe oral, that in the event of an emergency, the, the U.S. security officials, the NATO security officials can intervene and take political action uh, that, that, uh, of their liking. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. 
There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.